1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 11 and following. And he said, This will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots, and to be his horsemen. And some shall run before his chariots. And the verses following down to verse 18. And then the other text in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. This morning I want to consider with you the manner of our king. That Jesus had expression about the manner of the king in 1 Samuel 8 verse 11. And we're going to be making a contrast this morning. The Lord Jesus, he is the true king. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. The only true saving king. And the only king and head of the church. So God has a king for the church. God has a king for Israel. And that king is his son. And he is the one who Israel should be looking to. He is the one who Israel should be waiting for. He is a total contrast to the king that they want. And to the king that God grants to their desire. Even their own king. The king of kings is a total contrast to the kings of Israel and Judah. And we'll be comparing and contrasting what Samuel says. With what is said about the true king. God's king. And Hannah sung of the true king. They had the word of God setting forth the hope of Messiah. And Hannah sung of him, and she said, The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth, the furthest corners of the globe. And he shall give strength unto his king, and exalt the horn of his anointed. So the Lord has a true king, a true anointed, and Israel just has to wait for him. But Israel cannot wait. Israel wants a king now. They want a king according to their own heart. And so while Hannah sings of Messiah, the Lord himself, in the person of his incarnate son. Israel wants a king of their own. And in wanting a king of their own. They are rejecting the reign. And the kingship of the Lord. And that's what the Lord says here in verse 7. They have not rejected thee Samuel. But they have rejected me. 
that I should not reign over them. So they're wanting a king, according to the words of the Lord, was a rejection of his reign, of his kingship, the one true and divine kingship that the church has. You see, the Lord is the best king that his people could ever have. And they ought to trust in him as their king. And they ought to wait for him to come and save them. And bring that salvation that they need. In time their king will come and be manifest in the flesh. You see that's what the tabernacle taught really. Because in the tabernacle that was a picture of God dwelling with his people. And he's in the midst of his people. He's dwelling among his people in the earthly tabernacle as king. That's why the Ark of the Covenant is shaped as a throne. It has a seat. It has cherubims up the side. Dwelling in the midst of the cherubim. He's reigning in the midst of the cherubim. He comes to the earth. He dwells in the earth. He tabernacles among his people. He's going to truly do that. He's going to truly be manifest in flesh. The God of glory is going to humble himself and be incarnate and manifest in flesh and be the king in the midst of Israel, the king in the midst of his people. And that's what John talked about when he said, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And the word dwell there is, is, a, is a word that suggests tabernacling, tenting, dwelling. So the Lord tabernacled among us whenever he was made flesh. He became man and he walked among us. He's a king. Didn't they come looking the king? Where's he that's born the king of the Jews? He was the king that was born in Bethlehem. That's the true king. And the day would come in God's own time whenever Zion would hear. Tell you the daughter of Zion, Behold thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass on the colt, the foal of an ass. And of course, whenever they, he came, they didn't receive him. Just as they didn't receive him here in chapter 8. They rejected me. And whenever he truly came and tabernacled among them, they did the same thing. They rejected him. He came onto his own. To dwell among his own. But they received him not, the Bible says. They rejected their king. Just as now they reject him still. Israel always rejects their king, their true king. Israel always receives the wrong king. Israel always wants the king merely according to the flesh. They don't want the king of glory. You remember how in the judgment hall of Pilate, you remember how Pilate brought Jesus out and, Behold your king. He's mocking them. But nevertheless, there is a picture here presented. Behold your king. And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate says, shall I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar. Caesar's our king. We choose Caesar. But we reject this king, this king of glory, this king of righteousness. Always rejecting the true king. As the Bible says. 
And they continue to do so. And it may be that in days to come others will arise as well. And they'll receive, they'll receive him and still be rejecting Christ. Didn't the Lord Jesus Christ say, I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not? If another shall come in his own name, him you will receive. That's just the nature of you Israelites. That's how you work. That's how you've always conducted your affairs. The rejection of the true king and the receiving of every other king. So God intends one king, his son. And this request for a king is a satanic attempt to overthrow that. But God's not afraid of the challenge. And he gives them their will. He lets them have their king. And he uses their kings. And he even uses their kings as types of Christ. And he even is pleased to let Christ come of that earthly line. So it's not going to overthrow God's will. He's sovereign and he's up to the challenge of anything that the devil or the flesh of men will throw out. He's not afraid of the will of people. So the Lord granted these earthly monarchs to Israel. But he told Samuel to solemnly warn them the manner of their king. What their kings are going to be like. What their kings are going to do to them. So Samuel tells him everything that God says. He will take your sons. He'll appoint them for himself. He'll take your daughters. He'll take your fields. He'll take the tenth of your seed. He'll take the tenth of your sheep. He'll take your men servants, your maid servants. He'll make you his slaves. The manner of your king. This is what he'll do to you. And so that's all the word of God. And Samuel tells them that. But still they're stubborn and saying, no, but we'll have a king anyway. So they didn't really believe God, did they? They didn't really take it in, all the warning, the, the protestation from the Lord. Clearly, the king that they choose then is inferior to Jesus Christ. Because this is not the manner of our king. So we want to compare these human kings with the Christ king. The manner of Israel's kings. The ones that they receive and follow. And the one who we receive and follow. Jesus Christ. Now these verses that I read. Verses 9 and following. You will find that there's a verb here that really stands out. And it's a verb to take. He's the king that will take. He'll take your sons. He'll take your daughters. He'll take your fields. He'll take the tenth of your seed. He'll take the tenth of your sheep. He'll take, take, take. A king who takes. A king who strips the nation. Who strips the people. A king who taxes them. And taxes them again. A king who builds his army upon them and with them. Who makes himself grand through them. That's the kind of king that they're going to get. And that's the kind of kings that they did get. 
So it's clear that the earthly king, the kings that they want, are kings that will enrich themselves. They take. And they'll lord it over the people of God. Because it says, you shall be his slaves. So he'll not just be a king, he'll be a lord and he'll, he'll have you all as his slaves. You'll be in bondage. It's the opposite of the redemption. Your kings will not redeem. Your kings will bring you to bondage. Your kings will bring you back to the Egyptian bondage. Your kings will bring you back to the slavery. So there, there's, a, there's a plane here. It's the opposite of the redemption. Remember the Lord brought them out of slavery, out of bondage, out of Egypt, out under the heels of the king of Egypt. The redemption out of, out of Egypt at the Passover, the Exodus. Your kings will reverse all of that. Back to bondage again. Back to slavery again. Back to hardship again. Back to cruel labor again. That's what the kings of Israel and Judah will do, do to you. Bring you back to all of that. That's not the true king. The true king doesn't bring back to bondage. The true king redeems. He brings the true redemption, the true deliverance, the true liberty of sons. The true king brings that. He does. So it'll be such a burden to them, their king, that out of the bondage they will cry unto the Lord. Verse 18. And you'll cry out in that day because of your king which you've chosen. Just like in Egypt. What did they do in Egypt? They cried out unto the Lord because of the bondage. And again you'll be back to those days. You'll cry out because of your king just like in Egypt. But I won't hear you then. I heard you in Egypt. But You've asked for these kings. These are the manner of your kings. If you disobey this protest and you cry out eventually, I won't hear you in that day. So it's a solemn warning. It's a solemn warning for their children. If they even cared about their children and their children's children, if they had just listened to God, they might never have gone into Babylonian captivity. Israel might never have the Assyrian captivity. They wouldn't have all these kings introducing the idols and bringing the wrath of God upon them. They might have saved themselves from all of that if they had but listened to God. But they didn't. And monarchy existed, as I said, until they came away into captivity and then it ceased. It came to nothing. The human aspect of it, as far as Israel was concerned, was a total failure. Samuel's words were fulfilled. The moral temperature of the nation was often measured by her kings and her kings were responsible for their, her moral and spiritual collapse. And the picture of the end of the monarchy is described by the Psalms by the rivers of Babylon there we sat down. Yeah, we wept. When we remembered Zion, we hanged our harps upon the willows. That's the picture of what their kings brought them to. 
and led them to as the monarchy came to an end. There we are in Babylon, in captivity, in bondage, without a song, without joy. But God is still gracious. Rejoice, O daughter of Zion. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, bearing salvation. The true king. So Israel just had to wait. And God has a monarchy that will not fail. And so we consider the true king then, the Lord Jesus. We're told so much about him in the Psalms, for example. God says, yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. He's not speaking of David or Solomon or any of those kings. He's speaking of his Christ, his true anointed. We've seen the manner of the kings that Israel desires and what for generations they had. But what about the nature and ways of the Lord, the King of Righteousness, the manner of our King? What we can, can we say about him, the King of Glory? And as I said, it's all set forth in that word of Zechariah, because Zechariah, after the captivity, he brought them the message of hope. Your King's coming. The true King's coming on to thee, Zion. And he describes the manner of this King that comes. He is just and having salvation, lowly, riding upon an ass. Where's his chariots? Where's his horses and his horsemen? Where's his army? Our king. There he is on a donkey, riding humbly. Coming into Jerusalem. This is our king. Lowly. He's coming on to thee. And this was fulfilled during the Passion Week, wasn't it? Because the Lord Jesus made sure to fulfill it. To get a colt. The Lord hath need of him. The Lord, mind you. The Lord hath need of him. And so they brought the colt. He sat on the colt and he, he, he went into Jerusalem. And that the scripture might be fulfilled. Rejoice, O daughter of Zion, thy king cometh on to thee. He fulfilled that scripture to show us he's the king. Even though he's going to wear the mocking crown of thorns, he is the true king. And they recognized this at the time, some of them, and they spread their clothes in the way, and the whole multitude began to rejoice and praise, and they even shouted out, saying, Blessed is the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. So they recognized this prophecy being fulfilled. So his manner is a total contrast to Israel's kings, isn't it? They're sitting on a colt that captures that. No chariots, no horses, no army. Our king's going to conquer and destroy Satan in his cross. In his cross. That's how our king wins our salvation. That's what they had to wait for. And so he didn't make himself great. Remember they wanted to come and take him and make him a king. Oh, here they go again with this king business. We, we're going to make you a king. We're going to set you up in Jerusalem. We're going to overthrow the Romans. He went and hid himself. This old business of making the kind of king that you want. We want the king that God has given us. And he has triumphed for us in his cross. 
That's our king. So there's no show, no displays of glory, no palaces, no royal robes, no golden crown with gems. He becomes a servant, our king, lowly, always lowly. He wears the humble garb of a Galilean. He carries a cross, our king. The only crown is a mocking crown, a crown of thorns. He wears garments of humiliation and even they are stripped from him. He suffers. He bleeds. He dies. He allows himself to be mocked in his royal office. You remember how they stripped him the soldiers and they put on him a scarlet robe. They gave him the crown of thorns bowed down and they worshipped him and mocked him. O king, king of the Jews and all this of that. They smote him. But he's lowly and he's conquering in his sufferings. Didn't he say, take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart. Not only lowly in life, but in heart. He's like that inside, you know. This lowliness. Lowly. None of the kings of Judah and Israel were lowly, I can tell you that. Oh, they'll have big armies, big chariots, big kitchens, big food, big tables, big meals, big houses, big palaces, big taxes. Jesus is lowly. Lowly. Behold, my servant God has predicted. Whom I uphold mine elect and whom my soul delighted. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. To all the ends of the earth. As Hannah said. He shall not cry nor lift up nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break. And the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He'll not fail nor be discouraged till he have set judgment in the earth and the isles that wait for his law. Aren't we an island here and we're waiting for him? Are we waiting for this Lord Jesus Christ? The humble people of God, this rejected Redeemer. We're fulfilling prophecies this morning. We're, we're waiting for his law. That's what you're doing this morning. You're waiting for his word. This king. This king who never made himself great, but little for you, that you may be made great in his salvation. Remember how Paul says, I beseech you by the meekness and gentleness, by the lowliness of Christ. He made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant. He was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. Obedient? A king who's obedient? Obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. What a king. You remember how Constantine saw the sign of the cross, whatever the truth of it all is, and he says, in this conquer, in this conquer. And in reality, that's what the truth is. This is how we conquer in our king, in his cross work. So there's this lowliness. He doesn't enrich himself. He doesn't take your sons and your daughters. He doesn't use you to run before his chariots. He doesn't get you to make instruments of war, rockets and bombs and 
to train for shedding your blood in warfare and on the battlefield. He doesn't take your fields and your vineyards. He doesn't take. He gives. Our king gives. He doesn't remove as these kings do. They remove. They remove the goods. They remove the sons. They remove the daughters. They remove the seed. But our king brings. He brings us our sons. He brings us our children. He brings us our food. He he brings us all that we have. Yes, he gets the tithe. As we're meant to give the tithe to him. Because the, the king's got the tithe. The tenth. But they took it. They took it. But our king we bring it to him as a free will offering our tithe. And we only bring to him what he gives us. Their, their kings didn't give them anything. They just took. But our king gives us everything. So that we only give back to him the tenth of what he has already given us. Your tithe is, is only what God has given you, your king. And you should at least be glad to give him that. If he's not worth it, even far more. At least that, your king. And so we, we do bring him the tithes and offerings into his house, into the storehouse, from which, from which we receive the food of the word. But we only bring what he gives us, our king. And most of all, he brings salvation. Isn't that what the prophecy says? Here he comes, he's sitting on the coat of an ass, he's, he's lowly, but he's carrying something. Having salvation. He bears salvation. He gives us salvation. He gives us the greatest bounty that heaven has to offer us sinners. The very salvation of God. He bears it freely. As our lowly king. It's worth waiting for. If Israel just had a listen. He has salvation and he gives that. Not bondage. Not slavery. But redemption, true redemption from bondage, the bondage of Satan, the bondage of sin, the bondage of self, the true deliverance. He saves his people. God is my king of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth, we sing in the Psalms. And so he is. He's the king that brings the salvation. And he's working in the midst of the earth. And he's bringing this salvation to multitudes. Onto the ends of the earth. And he's still doing it today. That's our king. Bringing. Always bringing. Never taking. Remember when he was on the cross. He saved others himself. He cannot save. If you're the king of Israel. Come down. Now from the cross. And we'll believe you. No he doesn't come down. Because he doesn't take. He stays there. Because he gives. And the greatest giving that he ever gave was himself. He gave himself. A king who gave himself. The son of God loved me and gave himself for me. He didn't take himself down. It's the manner of the kings to take. But he he didn't even take himself down from the painfulness of the cross. No, he didn't. He gave himself. If he did take anything, he took our sins... If he did take anything, he took our sorrows. If he did take anything, he took our burdens. All of those things no king wants to take. But King Jesus takes. 
This is the manner of our king. There's a great contrast here, isn't there? Isn't Christ in this chapter? Christ is in every chapter in Samuel, if we only have the eyes to see and the Spirit's guidance to lead us. He gives grace. The Lord God is a sun and shield. He gives grace and he gives glory. And so he does. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. What is he full of? He's full of grace. He's a fountain of grace. He's a treasury of grace. And he distributes his grace. He brings grace. And that's what we need. Only the grace of God can save us. Only the grace of God can help us. Of his fullness have all we received. There it is again. Never taking. We've received from him. Of his fullness have we all received. And grace heaped upon grace. He gives the Holy Spirit. He gives the forgiveness of sins. He gives gifts unto the church. He gives you the ministry of the word. He gives you the Bible in the faithful translation. He gives you his table. He gives you his baptism. He gives you his peace. My peace I give unto you. Where is this verb take whenever we read about our Lord Jesus Christ? Taketh away the sin of the world. Yes, we read it there, but not like the manner of the Old Testament kings. He's not into that business of taking. And we don't have to cry out because of him. Didn't Israel have to cry out because of their king? Oh, he's bringing in the gods. He's bringing the judgment of God upon us. He's taxing us again. We have this continual poverty. The nations in the state that have sinned, blood being shed in the streets. Our kings are failures. Our enemies ride over us. We're taken captive into Babylon, crying, 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 crying again against their king, crying because of their king. They cry out in that day. But brethren and sisters, we've never had to cry out because of our king, have we? We've never had to say to the Father, you know, Father, your king is so hard. Your king has led us down the wrong avenue. Your king just takes and takes and he doesn't give us grace. And We don't have to cry out because of Jesus, do we? No, thank God we don't. We, we pray and bless him. We say, Father, thank you for your Christ. Thank you for your king. Thank you for this redeemer. Oh, your marvelous love to us. That you have given us such a king who has brought to us his salvation. For him shall endless prayer be made. Not continual crying out. For him shall endless prayer be made. And all nations will call him blessed. The blessed king. The only king and potentate. Our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. We rejoice because of him. We praise the Father because of him. We give thanks Unto God for this unspeakable gift of this King of glory. And so we want more of Him. And we want to see more of Him. And we want to say to Him, you know, I'm sure there were days whenever Israel were sick of seeing their King, sick of seeing the tax man that they sent, sick of Him looking this and that and the other. Oh, but we don't get sick of the sight of our King or of His servants either. Because he's only ever bringing us blessing. And we want to say to him. 
And we're promised the sight of him. Then I shall see the king in his beauty and his glory. Praise the Lord. That's what we want. To see him. To get a glimpse of him in his beauty. And then another thing about these kings. They'll cry out on that day, but I won't hear you. These kings don't make God to hear us. These kings make God to shut his ears to us. That's what Israel are fine. These kings don't open heaven. These kings don't open God's ears. These kings shut God's ears. These kings close heaven to us. But our, our king, he opens God's ears. He opens heaven to us. In fact, we can plead his name. <laughs> you wouldn't have dared plead Ahab before God. You wouldn't have dared plead at Manasseh before God. Or even Solomon. Or even David. But you can plead Jesus. Whatsoever you ask in my Father's name, he'll hear you. He'll answer you. He'll give you. He's the king whose name we can plead before God. The only king whose name we can plead before God. He opens heaven. He opens the heart of the Father. He gives us an entrance, as we'll see tonight, into the presence of the, the holy chamber of God himself. None of the kings of Israel did that. The very opposite. And then he's, he's a just king because it says that just and having salvation lowly. He's holy and righteous as well as merciful. He's just and yet brings salvation. This is an amazing thing, you see. Because the justice of God is really a terror to us and what we fear. And it comes first, he's just, he's just bringing judgment to us. But no, marvelously, he's just and brings salvation to us sinners. This is a marvel. But that's what our king does. He reconciles justice and mercy and truth and righteousness and all of that. They go before his face and they all kiss and are reconciled all these attributes as he brings the salvation to us sinners. Only the Lord Jesus Christ does this. And he's, he's the coming king, isn't he? But, but behold, thy king cometh. He cometh unto thee. And his first coming, of course, was fulfilled. We know that. He did that in Jerusalem. But he has a second coming. Praise the Lord. He's coming back again. And the church can say... He's coming on to us. There's a day coming when he'll have the full salvation, the culmination, the completeness of it all. He'll bring it to us. And he'll still come lowly and just. Praise his name. But there is also comings of Christ to us in grace. Without those we could not live to that day of the second coming. He has to come to us every day. He has to come to us by his spirit and by his word. And so Zion has to expect the attendance of their king frequently at their needs, for their needs. And so he comes to thee, and I want you to go home with this this morning, child of God. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He comes to you. You in your need. You in your poverty. You in your loneliness. You in your burdened state. He comes to thee. 
your King, offering you the grace, giving to you his Holy Spirit, bringing to you the ministry of the Word. That's what he's doing this morning. It's not me coming on to you with just some sermon. It's your King coming on to you in his Word to bring you blessing, to bring you the grace and the help that you need for the week that is ahead. Behold, thy King cometh unto you. Bringing. Bringing the grace. Bringing the help. Stretching out his arms to us still. In all our wanton needfulness. Coming to you, child of God, personally. In your time of need. In your time of weakness. Remember how the psalmist said he was missing the visits of the Lord. You remember how he said... Oh, oh, when wilt thou come unto me? When will you come unto me? When was the last time you had a visit from the Lord? When was the last time he came unto you and he really opened his word unto you and he showed himself to you in a special manner? You need to be saying, when will you come unto me again? When will you come and bring to me the grace that I need? The word that I need? He comes on to thee. Comes on to thee in the preaching and in the encouragements he brings. He comes on to thee in the tokens for good that he shows you through the week. And maybe even you, you haven't even recognized him as the tokens that your king has brought. You have to recognize his gifts. Recognize what he brings you. He's coming on to thee all the time. There's not a wonderful expression coming on to thee. Coming on to you. Don't we sometimes need that someone to come on to us with the encouragement, with the help, with the grace? Ah, thy king, he comes on to you like that. So look for him. Expect him. This is the manner of the true king. Our king. Our King of glory and our King of righteousness, our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ Himself.